what happens when we don't have time to watch that movie everyone is raving about? Reading the synopsis is a great way to be in on the current pop culture. But what happens if it is a bad synopsis? Can you base the movie off of what you read only? We'll find out on today's reading of Bad Movie Synopsis. Welcome back to Bad Movie Synopsis with your host, David Carr. Today we are going to be talking about a movie that I actually knew nothing about until I was watching a YouTube, uh, what was it, some sort of YouTube review on movies, and I think it was uh, for Secret Service. So a guy was going over Secret Service agents in various movies and how they actually acted if they were following proper procedure, etc., etc., and this movie actually popped up, and I was like, oh, that's interesting to see those bits of parts where Kevin Costner and Whitney Houston are playing in it, and they're, they're you know, he's trying to protect her. I mean, it's called The Bodyguard, so what do you expect, right? <laughs> so uh, this one's actually a little bit different, too, in the fact that it's a really, really short synopsis. So we're going to spend uh, time reading this synopsis. We'll talk about it like we usually do, and then we will go and do some more fun facts than we typically do as well. Um... Yeah, so let's get started. This is The Bodyguard, which was released in 1992. In her film debut, Whitney Houston plays Rachel Marin, a pop music superstar. It seems that one of her fans is stalking her and has threatened to kill her. So Frank Farmer, who is played by Kevin Costner, a professional bodyguard and former Secret Service agent, is hired to protect her. Now, it was interesting that I was, and this is one of the fun facts that I, I was talking about before, Whitney Houston actually had something similar like this happen to her. And I don't know how, how common this is to happen with uh, people in power, or famous people or whatnot, but especially nowadays with social media and how much easier it is to stalk people and all that fun stuff, which is what this article said, by the way. I don't stalk people. Please, if you're a stalker, don't stalk people. <laughs> it's just not cool. These people are just trying to live their lives and they're making money the way that they can. Um, but she was talking about how this actually happened to her and someone had threatened her. And it wasn't, I don't think it was as bad as this, but, you know, it, it still happened. To continue the synopsis. The film then follows Rachel Marin's life from performance to performance. Each performance features her singing a song, including Houston's hits, I Will, I Will Always Love You and I Have Nothing, that reflects her emotional state. Frank Farmer successfully protects her from danger. Subsequently, and possibly as a result of his protection and the trust thus inspired, Rachel Marin falls in love with Frank, and, though he tries to keep the relationship professional, they sleep together. However, recognizing that their relationship puts her and her family in danger, he breaks off the affair and heightens moves to protect her. Many such provisions moves were shot down by Rachel. Ironically, in an effort to separate Rachel from her own world, Frank introduces Rachel to his own father and personal life. As the story follows a number of potential stalkers, Rachel must put her trust in Frank ahead of her own selfishness and desire for success. As Frank must face the fact that the threat may not always be what was expected. In the end, Frank's duty is fulfilled, having successfully protected Rachel, and they part with a kiss. Frank then moves on to his next assignment, dot dot dot, to protect an archbishop. And that's it. <laughs> that is, that is, uh, that is all for the synopsis that was written. That was, let me tell you, that was one page of reading, and I actually do things like I double space, I make the, the words bigger so that I can read it more easily, and man, that was just short. Now, on a scale of 1 to 10, as far as how I'd rate this thing as being written, uh, I'd give it a 4. It's not necessarily the brevity. Uh, you can get a lot of 
good information across with a brief synopsis. But this thing, I mean, it, it does cover the high points of what's trying to what's it does put forth the high points of what happens in the movie. But this is like what reading a the back of a DVD player or reading you know just spoiler or teaser not spoiler ones but teaser synopsis where it's like oh and this person is going to are they going to be able to save this person and even though they has a strained relationship with their father yada yada it's so it's one of those synopsis that's it's poorly written in the sense that it's just hard to read it's not really a synopsis in the sense that. It's not giving me more details of the story itself. Like, I couldn't... I could go to a conversation and talk to somebody and say, Oh, yeah, I know about the bodyguard. I know that it's about how this guy's protect, protecting a, a uh, pop star. But if I needed to talk about, like, names and motives and who actually was the stalker and things of that nature, I mean, it doesn't really go into those details. So while it does give away some spoilers as far as the relationship goes... Um, it doesn't really give much detail to the movie, and it doesn't compel me to watch the movie. This, to me, you know, when you, when you when I was reading the fun facts, it was actually more compelling than reading the synopsis, because they actually took the time to talk about how you know there's interracial couples, and there was the movie was a lot about the relationship between um, Frank and Rachel, and it's a lot about all these other different things that it's about. And it was much more interesting to read that than it was the synopsis. So yeah, I'd give this a 4 out of 10. I mean, it, it does cover some of the high points. It is there at the very least. Um, I might even have to downgrade it to a 3, come to think of it. it. might be being too generous here. But at the end of the day, it does cover some high points, and it does let you know who the main characters are, what mostly happens, and what the end of the story is. But it's very brief and doesn't do a very good job. So back on to the fun facts. 22 things you never knew about the bodyguard. And of course, I'm not going to go over every single one of these things. But there were some interesting things in here that I wanted to, to cover. So, the some of the big things here was that... Kevin Costner... <laughs> I forgot his name there, wow. Uh, Kevin Costner, who was the one who is the main, one of the main characters in the film, actually was the person who helped drive this film to be produced. And this was over a long period of time. He actually had this for how oh, years and years and years, and but he was waiting for Whitney Houston to accept the role. Because, and he says at the end of these fun facts that um, when he gave his um, eulogy at Whitney Houston's funeral in 2012 that, you know, the movie was meant for her. So any man could have played the leading role, but the movie, the, the pop star, had to be Whitney Houston at the time. So it took her two years to decide to do it, and then you know Kevin Costner made sure that she understood that he would make sure that she wouldn't look stupid, which is, you know, that's a, a huge thing for somebody that is in the public eye like she was. You have to make sure you protect that image, and that was her big concern. Plus, she'd never actually acted in a movie before which I thought was interesting. You know, you, you see a lot of people that transfer over from other um, professions that are still entertainment professions into the movies, and it works sometimes. And other times it's like, yeah, you need to go back to what you did. I think of people like Kevin Costner. Sorry, not Kevin Costner. Um, I'm thinking of that one guy who plays in Here Comes the Boom, um, James something or other. Wow, I can't think of that. Dwayne The Rock Johnson's another one that I think off the top of my head. Um, Steve Carell. 
interestingly enough, a lot of stand-up comedians tend to make that switch. Apparently, from pro wrestling coming over, is it's a bit easier to make that switch, too. I know John Cena's kind of flirted with being in movies, and he actually does a pretty good job whenever I watch him in TV shows or movies that he's in. He, he does a good job, so... People that... Oh, Rihanna was another one I was thinking of. And actually, Rihanna was... Someone was talking to her about doing a... I don't know if it was a remake or a sequel or something similar. It was down here near the bottom. Let me scroll down. Yeah, okay. 2011, Warner Brothers announced it was developing a bodyguard remake. And Rihanna wanted to do the lead, but she had said that, you know, most of the time when a pop star comes over there being a singer still, and she did not want to be known for being a singer. She wanted to do other movies that would actually let her be an actor. So, well, her specific words are, I want to play a character. Which, I've actually watched her in a Battleship, which I thought she did a pretty good job there. And, she, and she's in some other movies, I believe, but uh, beyond that. I, you know, so I can totally get the, the fact that people would want to do something else and not portray what they are in real life. But by the same token... You know, this is going into acting and movie stuff, of course, but there's a lot of people that play a method part, not a method part per se, but they're they're typecast, and some people really enjoy that. I'm thinking of, like, James Garner, for example. He usually played, um, like, in Support Your Local Sheriff or The Rockford Files, somebody that was confident, you know, bigger than life, not bigger than life per se, but, you know, really big personality, law enforcement, things of that nature. And there's several other actors I can think of that do the same things. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but by the same token, there's other actors that want to be known for being able to play, be diverse. You think of people like Johnny Depp, uh, who plays a whole bunch of different actors, a range of characters. Uh, and I can, I can see the allure. I mean, I wouldn't, I myself personally, if I was an actor, I wouldn't mind finding a singular role and then if I'm only going to be in four or five movies, why not play the same type of character? You're still doing a different story. It's just a similar character, and it makes it easier to to play yourself, per se. But I totally get the fact that maybe you don't want to do the same thing that you do every single day. So, I mean, that makes sense. Uh, the next thing that... Oh, apparently, Kevin Costner claimed in 2012 that he'd been developing a bodyguard sequel that would have marked Princess Diana's acting debut which I thought was interesting. But unfortunately, she died in 1997, of course, and then he received the early draft of the script a couple days before that. So would that have actually come out? I don't know. I would be interested to see, would have been interested to see if a royal, someone that's in the limelight like that and has to have a certain decorum, would have actually had participated in a feature-length film. That would have been an interesting film to see produced. Uh, what else do we got in here? I'm actually obviously not going to read every single one in here. Um, this is interesting for me, I mean, cause since I'm in the production business. Made for a modest $25 million, The Bodyguard earned back $122 million in North America and $411 million worldwide. Globally, it made more movie than any other film in 1992 except Aladdin. And that makes sense because Robin Williams is amazing. Sorry, Robin Williams, right? I have no idea. What is interesting to me, though, and what most people don't know, unless you're in the industry, I think. I mean, I'm very into the industry, so maybe I'm speaking incorrectly, but you make more money worldwide, typically, than you do domestically with movies that are released in the United States. 
So it's interesting to see those numbers there. It made uh, 533 million, it looks like, and potentially more as time goes on because of you know residuals and all that fun stuff. But it's interesting to me how you put this stuff out in the rest of the world and it just makes more money. And then maybe that's just arrogance on my part. I probably it shows my Americanism right there. <laughs> thinking, oh, America's the center of the world. I apologize. I don't mean to think that way, but I think everybody thinks centric to their country, right? But there is a whole a much larger market globally. Now, America consumes a lot of the stuff, but there's still more people uh, globally, and they sh- they would uh, enjoy that. This actually kind of reminds me of David, not David Bowie. Uh, I'm thinking of the guy from Baywatch. Oh, what's his name? He also played in Knight Rider. Oh, uh, I can't remember his name. That's annoying. But he actually, so he was known for Baywatch Night Rider in the United States. Um, and he actually had a bigger career outside of America. Uh, he had huge crowds in Germany that loved him. He had, uh, he just, for whatever reason, had this huge career outside there. And there's certain things that do play better out outside of America than inside of America, of course. Um, things that flop here domestically may do amazing uh, globally. It's just, it's hard to tell. What was his name? Oh, man, that's going to drive me nuts. Put in the comments below. Let me know. What, what was the name of the guy that stars in Baywatch and Knight Rider? Uh, let's see what else. I think that's actually about all that I got here. Oh, here's, here's a good one to end on. Um, do you recognize Rachel's Mansion? Which I don't because I haven't seen the movie, but apparently it's the same lavish estate used in The Godfather as the home of movie mogul Jack Woltz, the guy who wakes up to find his horse head, horse's head in his bed. And who doesn't know that scene, right? I think I've actually seen that scene before because I've never seen The Godfather. And that's that's something that... That is something that I'll probably never watch, potentially. I don't know. It is a classic. I probably should watch it at some point. But that was interesting to me, and it's interesting to me to see how sets are used across different movies at times, especially inside the same studio. Um, there was actually in Star Trek: The Voyage Home number four. I remember watching a documentary about that from Leonard Nimoy, and he was talking about how they uh, there was a the scene where they crash land into the bay was actually a huge pool that the production studio had on their lot. And which they used to use for, you know, huge scenes on the water. And so they actually resurrected it, because it, I think it had been turned into a parking lot, so they they had made it so it was usable again, and they, they put this thing in there, and just they used it to create the scene of a, an intense storm with a Klingon ship in the background and all that fun stuff. So it, it's really impressive to me the kind of things that you can share across movie sets. And, you know, as you watch more and more movies that, come out of Hollywood, you can actually, of course, see that they're using a lot of the same roadways, they're using you know, similar areas like, for example, the um, the observatory there in Los Angeles, um, the Gifford Observatory, I believe. You know, that's you can see that in Rocket Man, you see that in Sandy Wexler, you see that, I mean, it's used in so many different films just because it's such, it's such a cool place to be, and it has such a, an interesting landscape and area that, you know, you just seem to pop into a lot of movies. So these kind of things I find fascinating about these these films. Well, there you have it. That is Bad Movie Synopsis for today. That was, I know, a lot of me talking about fun movie facts with this. But, 
you know, at the end of the day, if you have a, a short and poorly written synopsis, sometimes you just have to have filler with something else. So thank you again for listening, and I will catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Please like and share this podcast. Join us each week for new episodes of Bad Movie Synopsis, where we read movie synopsis and discuss how well they were written, plus other interesting movie facts. Thank you.